Hi, Insiders! Welcome back to a new episode of Disney Movie Insiders Presents. We're kicking off June and Pride Month with an insider's look at Disney's Launchpad. Launchpad released on Disney Plus just days ago and features six original short films from six unique filmmakers. These films focus on the theme of Discover. And very appropriately, this collection takes us on a journey to explore unique stories from the next generation of storytellers. Hearing stories has and always will be a part of the human experience. Launchpad is a guiding light to help us reframe who we hear our stories from. And these stories come from underrepresented voices. As you watch, each film feels fresh and encourages understanding and connection, all the while giving hope and inspiration to future filmmakers to share their authentic stories. We have much more to discover and learn from one another, and it's very exciting to know this is just the beginning. Today we're talking to filmmakers Uksa Altaf, Hao Jung, Anne-Marie Pace, Stephanie Abel Horowitz, Jessica Mendez-Siqueiros, and Moxie Pong. And then to take on the Insider Five, we have Disney cast members and Launchpad sponsors, Mahin Ibrahim and Philip Dumfey. These six filmmakers were chosen from over 1,100 applicants, with the number one genre of submitted scripts being coming of age. How's that for an Insider's fact? And now to talk about their films, we have the filmmakers from Launchpad. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm excited to talk to each and every one of you. Okay, so let's start today with a quick intro and background. Hi, uh, my name's Anne-Marie Pace, and I'm the writer-director of the film Growing Fangs. Hi, my name is Aksa Altaf, and I'm the writer-director of the film American Eat. Hi, my name is Hao Zheng. I'm the co-writer and director of Dinner is Served. Hi, my name is Moxie Pong. I'm the writer and director of the film The Little Princess. Hi, my name is Jessica Mendez-Siqueiros, and I'm the writer and director of The Last of the Chupacabras. I'm Stephanie Abel Horwitz, and I made Let's Be Tigers. Awesome. Okay, so now we want to know, when did you first get the filmmaking bug? Stephanie, let's turn it right back to you. Uh, for me, it was actually really late. I was like 30. I had started uh, as a director and maker of theater, and then um, I loved doing that, uh, but I was getting a little older, and I wanted to keep directing but not be totally broke, so I moved over to L.A. and to <laughs> film. I love the honesty there. Okay, Jessica, let's hear your story. Um, I, I love one night following Stephanie because we have sort of a similar no film school, just make it when we're, you know, in, reaching the late 20s, early 30s bug. Um, I started as an actor and also just got, you know, really frustrated with kind of being powerless in that role. Um, it takes a lot of a long journey to get, you know, to be as powerful as you can be when you're writing your own material. Um and so I switched over and started telling my own stories. I like it. You took back control there. That's pretty cool. Moxie, let's hear your story. I, I have always been interested in telling stories and writing, um, but it was until I was in the last year of high school that I watched Brokeback Mountain, and I was so moved by the movie. I cried so many times. And then I realized that, the film was made by a uh, Asian filmmaker, Ang Lee, and I watched uh, his speech over and over, and I was like really inspired by how um, filmmaking provides a different path of storytelling. Uh, it creates a more um, immersive experience for for humans. 
Uh, so I decided to go to film school, and then ten years later, <laughs> I got in the same film school that Angley went. In full circle, really cool. Okay, how? Same question. Uh, so when I was a kid, I always wanted to skip school and you know just escape from reality, escape from the world. And for me, the the way to do it is to to be an actor, which is you know like you can act as you know superheroes and those people. But then, um, so so I started acting when I was you know in elementary school, and I acted for shows for films. But then afterwards. I realized that well, all the roles that they gave me for some reason, they're all very sad roles. I've been an orphan for five times, and I was like, you know, this is not what I wanted to do anymore. And you know, I want to like cheer cheer myself up. So so then I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go behind the scenes. So yeah. Well, we're grateful that you did. <laughs> okay, Oksa, your turn. I have a little bit of a non-traditional path. I I was I was raised. To go to med school,、uh, like almost like that's what was expected, and、uh, I slowly realized I just was I loved storytelling, and part of the reason was、um, because I grew up in Kuwait as daughter of South Asian parents, and there was a lot of like injustices happening around me, and that was like my bubble、mm-hmm. um, to migrant workers there,、um, and I realized through filmmaking how much what was happening around me was not normal and not okay. And that was the, the it kind of bursted the bubble, and that's the power of storytelling. I thought,、um, you know, so I started off with wanting to make documentaries, kind of make like more socially awareness stuff, is what I was really really interested in. But I think I think I I look back at it now, and I'm like, had I had I seen somebody that looked like me, I would have reached the conclusion that what was not ha- right, what was happening around me was not right sooner. Mm-hmm. You know,、uh, nobody looked like me. The idea of like liberty, freedom, free speech just felt like foreign concepts suited for only certain people.、Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was my pa- intro into. So when I moved to America, I abandoned med school, pre med path, and went to went to film school. And it was my early twenties when I started. So I, I wasn't that kid that had the eight millimeter <laughs> camera running around. I wish I was, but I wasn't. Well, congrats on bringing. Obviously, diversity to the screen for the next generation. As you said, it took it took a long time for you to see that, and so I congratulate you on ushering that in as it as it should be. Okay, Anne Marie, same question. When did you first get the filmmaking bug? Um, yeah, I、uh, so I grew up in a small town in Tennessee,、um, and I'm Mexican American and queer, and a lot of the kids I was going to school with、um, weren't like me. And so at times it did feel a little bit isolating,、um, but I have my my dad.、Uh, he's an anthropologist, and so in the summers he would take us on his research trips, and we would leave this like very small town in Tennessee and go and live in、uh, the Brazilian Amazon or with different indigenous tribes、um, for months at a time. And I think even from a young age, it really opened eyes. To the fact there are so many different people in the world, so many different cultures, and the beauty of those differences.、Um, and I think even from then, from when I was young, I, I knew I wanted to tell stories and share these experiences and, and find a way to connect us all through film. Okay, those sound like amazing trips to take. Anne Marie and Moxie. So it's currently Pride Month, a time where we celebrate the LGBTQ plus community, their incredible contribution to society, and the promotion of self affirmation, equality, and identity. 
Though our calendars only mark this month, these efforts and celebrations are ongoing. So here's the question. You've shared that you actively weave stories of identity and the queer community into your work. Can you share a little bit more about how you approach these stories? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And for me, I knew with this story, I wanted to tell a story where the main character was queer um, and Mexican and those elements of her weren't the conflict of the story, that they were normalized and celebrated. Um, and I think for me that felt really profound of celebrating the very things I was made to feel ashamed of growing up. And honestly for me this, this film was such a huge milestone in my own journey of self-acceptance. Um, I came out a lot later in life. so. To put myself out there and and tell a queer story for the first time, um, it felt a little scary, especially on a platform as big as Disney. But now I look back and I'm just so proud of the film, and I feel like I'll always remember this time as a huge moment in my own personal life and growth. And thank Launchpad because of that. I, I think there are millions of LGBTQ plus stories. Um, from like you know each person who identified in the community and and I think my story was one of them and for me when I was writing the story um, I was really trying to to incorporate something that feels truthful and authentic to me and I think uh, when I was doing that the the best way of me doing that was to go back to stories that happened to me so I just went directly to a event that happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, so that uh, sort of inspired the whole story of The Little Princess. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of times people think about telling story that was mm -hmm. with a diverse um, voice. They often think we need to add like all elements and like try to you know reach as wide audience as possible but it, it sometimes doesn't work that way. Uh, instead, if you have too many elements, it can be confusing, out of focus. So I think um, telling specific stories. Yeah, so I think there are millions of different LGBTQ plus stories among like people in the community. Uh, and I think mine was one of them. And when I was writing, I was really thinking of telling a story that is feels most authentic to me and the best one I can tell. And so I found an easy way. So I went directly back to tell a story that happened to me when I was a kid. Um, and I think often we like, and that's how, um, that's what inspired me to make The Little Princess. And I think often we, we think of um, telling diverse story, we have to have a bunch of different elements to to reach like a broader um, audience, um, but sometimes it doesn't work that way. And uh, instead, if you focus on like a specific story, um, it could usually ground the 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 narrative and help the story travel uh, universally. That's very powerful. And thank you though for just the backstory of that. That this is your part of your journey that we're seeing through The Little Princess, so really, really cool. Um, Anne-Marie and Hal, 
So in Growing Fangs and Dinner is Served, we see beautiful themes of courage, acceptance, and being yourself. Where do these stories come from? All right, I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, Growing Fangs, it's, it's a story about a 15-year-old girl um, named Val, who's half human and half vampire and struggling to fit in in either world. Um, and it comes from a, a personal place of experiencing, um, I myself am, am Mexican-American and bisexual. And so growing up, I did feel the struggle of being in between identities. Um, and, you know, like at school, I would, I would hide or, or play down my Mexican side. Um, but then at home, I, I would feel ashamed that I couldn't keep up with Spanish with my family. Um, and being bi, you know, for me, sometimes I felt I was too gay to be straight, too straight to be gay, and um, trying to figure out where I belonged in that. And I think what I had to learn is that being in between identities doesn't make you any less of that identity. Um, the whole speaks to who you are. And, you know, something I used to say a lot is, oh, I'm half Mexican. Um, and it took a friend telling me, no, you're Mexican mm. and American. <laughs> you're both. Um, and it was really profound for me to hear. Um, and it is. It's who I am. It's I, I am all of my identities. And I'm proud of that. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to, to show with this film. I love that. Proud and You've showcased it now in this film. That's super cool. So Dinner is Served uh, is pretty much based on my own experience when I first came to the U.S. for high school when I was 15 years old. Um, it's about this guy in the U a U.S. Catholic high school uh, trying to apply for a leadership position no international student has ever tried before. Um, so for me, I kind of grew up always moving from place to place from you know the like the Gobi Desert in China to the southern coast of China to New York, Boston, LA. I felt like strangely the more I moved the the more I felt lost about who I am and where I belong. So that's why you know um, this theme of you know trying to find yourself exploring yourself is always in my work. And I found that especially when I first came to the U.S., um, I've been here for more than like 10 years, but then I've never really seen, um, you know, myself represented on the big screen as an, inter as an international student um, in the U.S. So that's why this making this story really means a lot to me so that, you know, like I... It, it, I felt like I wanted to also take this opportunity while developing the story, also trying to know a little bit more about myself and my own journey, um, as well as, you know, hopefully um, others like me can feel that we're seen and we're heard. It's very special. Thank you. Okay, so Uxa. American Eid paints a picture of two sisters experiencing and responding to their new life in different ways. Would you say you relate to one of the characters' experiences more than the other? And if so, which one? I feel like I feel like both the sisters, Amina and Zainab, kind of represent two facades of me uh, <laughs> on my personal journey. You know, you grow up wanting to assimilate. Um, when I first moved here, uh, that was like my as an immigrant. That's what you're told you're supposed to assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. 
So I was, you know, just because I was in a society that didn't celebrate my the holidays that I had or the nuances of my culture or so I just inherently was like, maybe I'm not supposed to talk about it. Right. Growing up, that's what you see. You don't see either presented on TV. So you're like, maybe it's not cool to talk about it like growing up. And then you come here and you're like, maybe nobody wants to hear about it. So I talk about it. And then as as you get older, you realize, especially after being away from home for so long. So I became more of from 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 Zainab to into an Amina that just started celebrating what's unique about me and what's unique about uh, where I come from, about the nuances of my culture, my religion, my family. So um, in that sense, yeah, I think I had an arc, and <laughs> that that and the two sisters kind of represent those two facades or facets, I would say, of of that journey. Okay, Stephanie and Moxie, what did you look for in casting and building on-screen relationships? I looked for, well, really that they loved each other was really important. It's like really a two-hander, and I was lucky that Omara and Dash were like instantly best friends, and in their um not their callback in their chemistry read they were just like cute and could not stop talking to each other and omara like brought over a nintendo to show him over zoom and he was like oh my gosh that's so cool and i think to have people love each other on screen it really helps to have them kind of love each other off screen and as far as just like more general casting really like i when i saw both of them their first their first auditions, I, I kind of knew, you know? Mm. I think sometimes casting's really intuitive and I could like give reason to that, but like, you know, you just like look at them and they do their audition and you think like, oh, that's my girl. And with Omara, I think what it kind of came down to is that she, um, she also had a nephew and like talked to kids like they were little adults. And then she did, you know, she both did that on the audition and then she did that with Dash. Like she was like, oh cool, I'm a kid too. I get it, I play games. And Dashy was like, he's the cutest. And in his first audition, he was actually only like three and a half. And he actually stuck his hand, his whole hand in his mouth and did the lines like in the audition. And I just thought like, if this kid can be that much himself and do lines at the same time, because he had a lot of lines in my film, I feel like that's like a masterclass in acting. So, you know, it's like funny, weird things that make you think like, that's my people. But I think that's how casting goes. <laughs> yeah, I second what Stephanie said, like, most of the directing job is done in the casting like we like it's really for for us it's really the biggest challenge is to find the two perfect kids for these two roles and i think because they are the lead and they have so much stories we really we really just spend so much time looking for those two kids and for gabriel we like we did a lot of casting calls and we looked at a lot of tapes and because Gabriel is such a specific kid he is like like young and understands complex complex emotions and he has to be able to present more feminine mm. and he has to you know show like sensitive side it's like really hard to find a, a seven-year-old who can do that so we're, we're really lucky we found we found uh, Kalo, who is really amazing. Um, he, he just brings so much light to, to our story. Um, and he's like, he can cry, <laughs> he can love, he's, he can do everything. And then, and then we, 
for 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 Ryan, I know. Um, sorry, for Rob, I I know we want to find someone who is like not very experienced in performing because this kid is a little like lonely and he's, he's he's supposed to be new to the U.S. So we're really trying to find a character who is. We're really trying to find a person <laughs> who is close to our character, and just let them be themselves on the screen. So once we found that, we're like, oh, perfect. They make a really nice duo, and and uh, you know, like Ryan is a little taller than 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 Kalo, which is like what what I wrote in the story, and. Kalo is more Americanized and can speak English uh, Chinese well, but then Ryan uh, speak Chinese well. These are all like little details that we actually were written in this story, and they they're just like perfect match for those two characters. So yeah, we're we're really lucky we found them. That's awesome. They do. They are really perfect. It's so cute. Um, okay, Jessica and Stephanie, how did you come up with your story? I had the concept of just the sense of loneliness first, and then um, for some reason this image of, okay, what of this woman who is very much like my grandmother, somebody who I didn't necessarily gather all of the information I should have from her. She was somebody who was very, very proud of her Mexican heritage and like really carried on all these traditions, and I feel... She lived to be 100 years old, and all of that time that I got to spend on the planet with her, and I didn't absorb as much as I should have. And um, I imagined that character, for some reason, this like image popped in my head of if that character, if my great-grandmother met the chupacabra, what would that interaction be like? Because there were so many similar themes of like how I even viewed my grandmother as somewhat this like frightening imposing figure so what if we paired that with another frightening imposing figure and like what does that mean to watch these two very misunderstood precious creatures try to interact what what is that relationship um and and i mean really the the film is more of a fable than it is a a cohesive you know uh what I would say in like a traditional film or even a traditional short with a, a beginning, middle, and end, it ha- is much more of a um, a sort of larger-than-life theme that it explores. And so it's really just, okay, what are those two characters? What do they do for each other? What do they give to each other? Um, and, and go from there. Cool, because it's very unique. And yeah, it's awesome to bring it up on screen. Stephanie, how did you come up with your story? The premise of my film actually sort of in an opposite way comes from something that actually happened to me, which is that I was babysitting in my early 20s, this little kid named Grisha. And he was like, just the cutest, little, adorable, like super loving, super smart kid, just like wonderful, wonderful child. Probably my first experience being like, wow, kids they're amazing (laughs) and um and this one day he kept she kept shooting me dead like with his little pointer gun and it was really kind of like not expected for this super loving kid and and I didn't know what to say for a little while I was like I'm just babysitting I don't know am I allowed to have this conversation with you but I just felt bad about what he was doing so I said do you you know, do you know what that means if you if I was dead? And he said no. And I said, well, you know, I wouldn't if I was dead, I wouldn't be able to come back. I wouldn't be able to come back here. You wouldn't see me anymore. 
and he got really sad. And I think, um, I think really that was like the center of the film for me when it started, which in some ways is how do we talk about sad things as adults, but, and with children and how can we bring honesty to that with children, but also like with adults, I'm not always that good at sharing my personal pain. So yeah, really the rest of the film and, and in some ways like the lead character sort of developed in, in response to this thing that happened with me and this kid. Okay, so I actually want to do a follow-up for Jessica. But so overall, the production design and props are a major part of your story. You said obviously it's personal, but can you tell us a little bit more about what went into all of that, the production design, the props? Yeah, I actually think um, a big premise of my filmmaking is that um, production design and and the quality of your filmmaking can be a very political act. I think that as we're telling stories, <clears throat> and everybody here, all of these filmmakers, um, are telling stories at such a level that it can become political when you're telling stories of people who have been other traditionally and who haven't been given the resources to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, when I very first started out filmmaking, you know, all of those three years ago, <laughs> um, I, I really set out to go, okay, well, what would my version of a Wes Anderson film look like? And why haven't I seen people who look like my family in those films? Um, and so I've always worked to, to seek out artists that are extremely attention detailed um, and, and really bring to life something that's larger than life and that reminds you that you're actually watching a film, that you're being told a story, um, that you are part of, of a legacy of storytelling that, um, that celebrates our, our lives and our histories and all of those things. And, um, and it gets to be this really joyful, political, luckily very visually stimulating celebration of, <laughs> of, um, of our existence. Okay, how? Music often allows us to express when we cannot find the words ourselves. Your lead character finds his courage through the words of a song in your short, Dinner is Served. Can you tell us about what it was like finding the perfect song for this moment? Um, With this particular song, we wanted to find a piece that, you know, really encouraged, that empowers, um, that brings you strength. Um, But then, you know, we, we wanted the character to sing um, in Mandarin. Um, so our producer, Xinxi, actually come up with all the lyrics uh, for this song. And all the lyrics, like the, the lyrics, the words itself, it's very, very empowering, encouraging. But then what we realized is that, you know, music travels, um, you know, even, mm. even if you don't understand, you know, a certain language, it still travels. So we have a, a very talented composer, Xue Ran, and we've actually worked multiple times before. And he brought on this, um, this, this uh, song, which is really, um, which really is not, I think it's a character itself, you know, like when, especially at the end of the film, um, when we were actually sh- filming that scene, um, I remember after I said cut, I turn around, I see like my producer Shinzi and my production designer, they like have tears in their eyes and then I, and then I have the whole crew applauding for 
the the our lead character lead, lead guy who's singing the song that moment i just felt like wow like like this this song really moved people and and i felt mm-hmm. at that moment you know my story is finally heard and and the character is being seen that's so special i mean wow how many moments like that i wonder do you get in a filmmaking career to have everybody emotional like mm-hmm. that so your films are now part of the Disney family, which is seen through the tremendous heart in each story. How did you write a story that balanced that? We're gonna start with Uxa. I feel like I feel like the heart in the story comes from something that is very personal to you, something that is very meaningful to you. You know, and if it's it's something that you've been wanting to say for so long. So you just figure out a way to translate that in a in a story form. You know, and it can be just a little thing. <laughs> like, I want to tell people about Eid. Like, how do I translate that? And the only way to make people care if, is if you have a character that really cares about it, that fights for it, that gets hurt by it because of it, but then wins in the end. And that in itself is just so heartful. And then it's not only an education, but it's also a journey that the audience gets to go on. And I think that's more powerful than, than preaching or just plain education. So well said. I've learned that from each and every one of you that you guys, it's so personal to you, these stories. So, I mean, that's what's going to resonate with people. So, all right. That was very powerful. And Marie. Yeah, I think, you know, also just in general, there was so much heart and support in this program. Even going through the pandemic and quarantine happened and we couldn't do anything for a few months, what we did instead was just work on our scripts and, and have a story trust with one another, all six of us, and really make our scripts, like we knew what each other wanted to say, we knew the heart of each other's stories, and we helped bring that out, and that, that was a really special time. Um, and we, we always felt so encouraged by Disney to tell our stories in our own unique way, in our own voice. Um, and everything about this program was just so special and loving. And I mean, these other five filmmakers were all going to be best friends for life after this and going through this together. Um, but I feel like the heart came through in all of our stories because the heart was there from the beginning um, in this program and with each other. So cool. I love that you formed a bond too to last a lifetime. How? Well, adding on to what Aksa and Emory were saying, I think. I mean, just from the beginning, the reason that like all of us are even in this business or like we, we all wanted to make film is, is because we have something that we wanted to share with the world and that we have some, you know, we have been through stuff that we wanted other people to also experience. Um, so the heart is always there. Um, and I think, you know, other than the, the six of us, I felt very, very supported from also our mentors um, um, at Disney as well. Like they are always there, and I think you know, all they they all they always understand that um, you know, like I have my own voice, that I have a story um, that I really want to tell. So that's why they always mention to me how you know we will give you notes, but then at the end of the day you know, make sure you're telling what you really wanted to say. So for me, that is really supportive and it really encouraged me. Moxie. I mean, um, everyone else said it already. The stories are very <laughs> heartful to begin with. 
um, we're making Disney movies, um, and uh, we have great support from from our mentors, from um, our collaborators, and like I think Launchpad is incredible. They really tried so hard to create a diverse set and and create like a very inclusive mm -hmm. set that really help guide um, the production and move the production into a. You know, like I think, I think the atmosphere on set is also very important to like help you tell the stories and keep your authenticity. So I definitely think that they did the best to help guide us and and create that protection for us, so that the story will be preserved as much as we want it to be. That's awesome. Okay, Jessica. I know the last two of you, I hope feeling like you have something to say. If you don't, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that one of the things that, you know, has really bonded us as a group too, is even though we're dealing with, and I think Disney does so well at this, uh, that when you're dealing with topics that are so difficult, Stephanie's dealing with, you know, talking about difficult topics with children, um, you know, Anne-Marie dealing with between, we're all dealing with these themes that are so, that could be so heavy. But all of these filmmakers have a, a point of view of joy and a point of view of, of celebrating life. And I think that's that's something that we need more of in filmmaking, especially now after we've been through such a hard year as a society. And so for me, you know, it is delving into these very personal, sometimes traumatic experiences, but then figuring out what is the joy? How, why do I want to celebrate humanity? Why am I telling stories? And I'm not telling stories so that people feel worse. I'm telling stories that people feel inspired to keep living and living more joyfully. It's a podcast, it's audio only, but I do want to say that everybody nodded when you were like, <laughs> okay, everyone here has joy and brings that to these serious, you know, these important stories. So yeah, I wanted to put that out there. That was a great, great thing to share. Okay, Stephanie, do you want to close us out on this question? I mean, yeah, I, I, for me, I do think the big thing is that we didn't do it alone at all. We, we very much had each other. We very much had our mentors. And like, to be honest, we had studio notes. <laughs> and like, that's sort of this cool thing we've never gotten to have before. I've never gotten, none of us have gotten to have before. And they help you, like, they help you. They help you <laughs> make something that's really personal to you and really optimistic and beautiful and heartfelt and funny. And like, just to take that full circle, sometimes you get studio notes and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And then you go back to your other filmmakers and your story trust and you say, I don't know what to do with this. And like, everybody <laughs> supports you. And it's like, I know what's important to you. Let me help you. So I just feel like, yeah, we, we got to make these gorgeous Disney films, like very much together, very much as a team sport. Like it's a beautiful way to be inside of a big studio system and, and make Disney movies. It was very magical how you said Disney movies. Well, that's what they are. All right. Thank you guys so much for the time today. Welcome to the Disney family and for sharing your personal stories with us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Our next guests to join us are from within the Disney family. Welcome, Mahin and Philip. We're so excited to have you both here. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a real pleasure. <laughs> Let's start with your role at Disney. 
talk to us about that and then also your role with Launchpad. Sure. So I am uh, the director of market on the multicultural audience engagement team for the Walt Disney Studios and an executive producer on season one of Launchpad. Um, my name is Philip Dunfay and I am senior manager uh, at Disney Launchpad and I was the Launchpad uh, creative executive on these shorts. I love it. Okay, so talk to us. How did Launchpad come about? I joined the company nearly three years ago to build the program from the ground up and to run season one and uh, to really take what was just an idea on a sheet of paper for my former boss, Julianne Cromit, and turn it into a fully fledged program, getting buy-in from our key stakeholders, getting feedback to help shape it is to help shape it to what it is uh, for its current season. So it took us nearly three years to get to this point. I would say, okay, so season one, we're already talking season two here. So that's pretty, pretty exciting. Oh my gosh. I feel like you're already sailing through with success. That's pretty awesome. So season two is currently accepting applicants. What can you tell us about this next season? Season two, we couldn't be more excited about it. We're going to be diving into the theme of connection. Whereas Mm -hmm. in season one, we're working through the theme of discovery. And I think... You know, in our current times, in the world that we've all kind of been living in, the idea of connection, relationship, um, what it means to, you know, be outside of yourself and and be known by someone else, um, whether that's, you know, through digital means or otherwise, I think there's just going to be a lot really in there. And I'm excited to see the stories that we're going to bring to life. And we're also doing something really new with season two, where we're bringing writers into the program for the first time. So with our first program, um, we only had directors or writer directors, have you. And this time we're bringing in writers, we're bringing in directors, we're bringing in writer directors, all sorts of different voices and perspectives that we think are going to help take the program to the next level. Sounds like it's going to the next level. I love how Obviously, Discover was this theme and then Connection you're talking about. That's really, really cool. Okay, so if people are interested in season two, where and how should people apply? Um, If you go to launchpad.disney.com, you can submit an application there. Uh, You can learn about our filmmakers from season one who are really excited to have this podcast as well. And uh, it's really easy. It just takes a click of a button. If you have a story to tell, um, you you can go there and, and you can start. Bringing it all, everyone. I love it. Super cool. Okay, so thank you so much for the setup of that. You guys are in the Disney family, so we want to hear more about your Disney fandom. Are you ready for the Insider Five? Absolutely. I'm getting scared. Getting some chills. <laughs> Maheen, you're going to do great. <laughs> what is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? I was, I've been thinking about this. And it was one night recently I was on YouTube, and I was just like, whatever happened to Disney's One Saturday Morning? And I just started going down um, a rabbit hole. Do you remember that? I was on ABC on Saturday mornings in the, I think, maybe was late 90s. Was this like 90s. Recess? Was it those? Recess, Pepper Ann, all <gasps> that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really where it started. Because I sing that theme song once a year. It's a good, when you get it right, you get it right. You know, it's a good theme song. Strong start. All right, Maheen, what is your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? First, I have to thank you, Philip. I didn't realize the Pepper Ann song was still in my brain from all those years ago. So thank you for just retrieving that memory. Amazing. The power of Disney. Love it. So for me, so I'm a kind of first generation Muslim uh, Bangladeshi. My parents actually don't watch American television or movies. So didn't watch a lot of movies growing up, um, but they did take me to the theater to watch Beauty and the Beast as a kid, which was such a treat. A good and one. I have seen 
every iteration of that film on ice at Pantages in school plays, live action reimagining. Anytime it appears, I just run. Uh, do not walk to get to watch it. Um, I kind of uh, am a bookworm. I'm a sucker for romance. So it just sang to me as a child. How many people have you knocked over trying to get to like Disney on ice? <laughs> I was gonna say that too. I really respect it out of all the iterations you led with Ice. On Ice was the first one that you led with. So yes. it's great. Just poetry in motion over over frozen ice. So good. I need pepperan on ice. We need to get that going. <laughs> yes, it can be a collab with Belle and Pepperan. Okay. What inspired you both to work in film? So I can say my mom loves British murder mysteries and she is a lifelong reader, so that's where I got it from. And she just instilled in me that love from a young age of books and storytelling. So my favorite work style is collaboration. And so that really drew me to marrying those two mediums together through filmmaking. Both of my parents um, are real kind of like storytellers. My dad's from Ghana and my mother's from Jamaica and, and my, my grandfather as well. From just the, the beginnings of, you know, my kind of family gatherings, like stories, narratives are just like super important. And so in a lot of ways, I think it was always kind of faded for me to just explore different ways where stories can be told, whether through music, which I've done in a previous life and, and now through film. They bring people together, they're beautiful. You can see yourself, you can you can tell some a truth about your experience. It's really cool. I think for both of you it sounded like the art of storytelling was brought to you through the generation that came before you, like mm -hmm. your family, and then now you guys are ushering in the next generation with Launchpad. Kudos on you guys for passing it on in such a great way. Okay, it's Disney karaoke night. What song do you sing? Okay, honestly, I would just sing the parts of the Caribbean theme. No words, but I would just like, da 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 you know, just like get all the way into it. And everyone would be kind of weirded out probably because karaoke people usually like, you know, like sing a song, but no, it'd just be me just like singing the violin parts and like doing the drums on my chest. I think that's how I'm going out. Well played. Okay, score kind of karaoke song, got it. Maheen, what do you think about this? I think I'm gonna guess yours, but I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> I think you, if you could put money on it, Lisa, I think you would go home big. So um, yes, no surprise. Uh, so I have kind of two answers here. The first is Belle from Beauty and the Beast, but of course. Yes. <laughs> But yes. of course, um, so that's really the child within me. Uh, we'll just always love that song. Uh, <laughs> and then the second would be um, Pray For Me from Black Panther from The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar <gasps> because the adult in me strongly resonates with that film. I love that. Great choices. Okay, this one, think on this one. If you could only ride one ride all day, any Disney park, which would it be? So you may see a theme in my response. <laughs> Maheen has no hesitation on this, by the way. She's like, I know. Too good. Mic drop, hands down, I know. <laughs> and let's take us back to Fantasyland. For me, it would be Snow White's Enchanted Wish, <laughs> which terrified me as a child. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about this ride? Because I've never been on it before. Oh, Philip! wow, it's gonna be such a treat. It is a kind of dark, spooky ride for children uh, where you yeah. get to kind of ride in this car, which goes about on its own track. 
and then you're taken to the kind of different parts of the story with the evil witch coming out with this apple and scaring the bejesus out of you as this key hairpin turn and you're going around in the dark and then it kind of finally ends at this crescendo of magic and mystery of Snow White and her kind of love interest. Wow. Ending happily ever after. So it's it's like a climactic film. I was gonna say that does, depending on the age, that does sound like it could either be inspiring or a little bit of nightmare fuel. <laughs> All right, she gave you some time there, Philip. She went through the description of that ride. What's your answer? Honestly, it's gotta be Indiana Jones. So the first time I went on that ride, I think I was like in my mid twenties. I came out as fist bumping, like, <laughs> the ride is so long. Okay, so here are the things I love about this ride. It's like, it's like gotta be 30 minutes in there. I know it's not, but it feels like it. Like you keep twisting, you keep turning. It's so big. I've always wanted to go in one of those kind of spaces also like during the like maintenance time and just take a look and like, just like see what else is going on there. But it's, but it's so, it's so big and so long and and it's just like this cool underground cave. I, I love it. I, I could do that. I could just like keep doing that one. I always want to get out though. Like even like if I do pirates too, like I'm always like, I want to get out and see how deep this water is. Oh my gosh. We're keeping our hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> just think about it. Don't do it. Great, great picks though. I love both of those. Interesting choices though. Very different, but very cool. Okay. Last question. Which Disney character has the best life advice and what is it? This is such a great question. So I think for me, uh, it's always changing, but I was kind of listening to the Moana songs recently and the, the song, Where You Are, uh, Moana's father says to her in the song, in time, you'll learn just as I did. You must find happiness right where you are. And I can hear my father say that to me, that this life is but a moment. Great one. I also love how you said it changes, like your favorite mm -hmm. quote or life advice can change depending on where you're at in life. That's mm -hmm. powerful, that's cool. Okay, Philip, she set you up right there. Yeah. You gotta close this out strong here. You know, gosh, I don't know if I'll be able to keep up with Mahim, but I think King Tataka said, it is hard for a good man to be king. It seems pretty true seems resonant. So I think that's where I'm gonna go. I bet you he had a lot of other good quotes too. You know, we're gonna have to go back and give that movie a watch because that is a powerful character. Powerful Tronka. character, wise words. You know what, you both just took on the Insider Five. So let's give you a round of applause here. That was awesome. I had so much fun with you guys. Thank you guys so much for telling us all about Launchpad and all about your Disney fandom. I love it. You're in the Disney family. I had a great time with you guys today. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lisa. That's our show. Thank you for joining us. Launchpad is now streaming on Disney Plus. So you don't miss any upcoming episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review. And let's get this one started with some bonus points. Enter bonus code LAUNCHPAD on DisneyMovieInsiders.com or our app. The code expires July 31st, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Membership is required. Limit one redemption per account. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com for terms and conditions. We'll catch you next time, Insiders, with more Disney movie magic.